The Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio is on the air. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurd and look at the headlines from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. We try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level. I think it's the second week in the fourth season of Weird Seeds Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Louis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. Without parallel, the single most influential and beloved British cult television series decided Doctor Who was the quirky, often campy take on the 60s spy genre that was Sidney Newman's and later Brian Clemens' Avengers. Uh, starting life at the very dawn of the 1960s as a gritty, nice street-level crime series with covert government involvement, Patrick McNee's iconic British intelligence man John Steed cycled through a succession of civilian partnerships, moving from a suave yet icily cold-blooded black ops type to a far warmer, even goofily campy father figure throughout the series' long run. So join us as we work our way through the Dr. Keel and Venus Smith era, to the outstanding Kathy Gale and Emma Peel eras, to the more questionable Tara King era, and the new Avengers uh, runs as we bring a touch of class to our usual espionage as we talk champagne, bongos, and brawly sword canes. John Steed and the Avengers. So uh, I'm Doc Savage, and with me is my co-host, uh, Mr. Lewis Paul on the Maven of Sleaze. <laughs> Hello. It's me, Mr. Lewis Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I love that little Avengers clip there. We should do that for every show. I have like recognizable music. <laughs> <laughs> well, the only one I'm thinking that, that really, really should have had that was Bond, but you know that was we never got to that one. We ne- yeah yeah. And, you know what's funny? I was on my way home tonight. Uh, oh no, it's not a Lewis aside. No, this is brief. I'm on my <laughs> way home tonight, and I ran into a guy. Uh, from my neighborhood, he's like really 
he knows. He's like one of these guys that knows everything about everything. And I say, hey, how you doing? I haven't seen him in a couple of weeks. He goes, I love that Avengers music theme. Oh, my God, that you put up on Facebook. It brought me back. <laughs> he said, I love that. Because he liked it, too. And I said, yeah, well, listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, drum up business. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to drum up business. Uh, it's a funny thing, because I, I kind of slowed down on my Thursday and Wednesday postings purposefully, so people will see when I actually post the show's going to be on. They'll spot that, like, bang, bang, bang. But um, it's it's hard, you know. Facebook is like a thing. Sometimes everybody's on. Sometimes right. nobody's on. Uh, and the weekends used to be the dead sea of life. You know, nobody's on the weekends. You post cool shit. Nobody saw that. And yep. then uh, sometimes everybody's on the weekends. So it's <laughs> it's, it's 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 strange. Yeah, but, it is. Uh, yeah, it, here it's we a time, are. Time vacuum. That's that, yeah. Uh, fucking Facebook. <laughs> Yeah, it is, it is. But this is our adventure show, near near and dear to both of our hearts. And, uh, uh, get going. <laughs> All right, so, uh, on that note then, um, <clears throat> well, back in 1961, actually, uh, this series came to be. Uh, like I had mentioned, it was originally under Sidney Newman who was the guy that would actually create Doctor Who as well. Um, and later on, it sort of became... First he was like... Um, I don't know if he was a head writer, then he became... Uh, you just see his scripts constantly. And then eventually he ended up more or less taking over the show as we got into its more... Um, I hate to say populist, but the, more, the era everybody remembers, all the stuff with Kathy Gill, the stuff with Emma Peel. And he left around the time that they were doing the Linda Thorson stuff, which says something. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, basically, people nowadays think of it as, oh, yeah, Brian Clemens' Avengers. Um, understandably so, considering what impact that he had. <clears throat> basically, when it started off, it was a much different show than people that have only seen those more popular eras. You know, more of the stuff that came over here to the U.S., I should say, um, would know, because uh, it was... Like I said earlier, it was more of a crime show, if anything. Uh, I wouldn't even call it necessarily spy, because some was really freaking low rent. Uh, I know uh, those who shall not be named, because I no longer uh, work with them, uh, but who did some audio dramas uh, based on those you know lost episodes, because it was back during the days when the BBC was wiping um, episodes left and right. Even though this was ITV, somehow these all vanished and vanished. So I think it was all part of the same purges from the archives, if you will. Um, and there was a lot of scripts that they said, okay, well, you know what? We don't have anything on this except these scripts. Why don't we go and you know react these out, make them into audio dramas for the masses, I guess, to enjoy. And they're very, very strange. And of course, you can see it in the few surviving episodes that exist from that era as well, uh, in terms of uh, televised episodes. Um, a lot of it is just, like, you know, pretty much low-rank Cockney dock worker type <laughs> incidents. Uh, you know, the original thing that happened, uh, I think it was Hot Snow, uh, the first two episodes of the series, was this guy, Dr. Keel, and he got involved with this on in the first place because his wife 
uh, basically got I forget what he got. She got ran down or gunned down by these. Um, you know, basically they were thugs, and uh, all of a sudden, of course, you know he's there grieving. But then the government guy steps in, the G-man who was John Steed, um, and you know that's how he got involved. And he was there with him for a couple of years. Uh, this fella, um, Ian Hendry who you might recognize from some other British uh, films of the era and some TV shows as well, I guess. Uh, so is there anything you wanted to kick off with before we started getting into uh, what made well, this era different yeah, from the rest? Actually, Hendry played this character in uh, a show, a short-lived show, because it wasn't well-loved by the British public called Police Surgeon. And uh, Police Surgeon, which is all but lost to time, uh, because like the... Uh, the majority of the Ian Hendry Avengers episodes, um, what they did at Crater Mass and, you know, and every other fucking thing that we really like. Yeah. Uh, the British were well known for uh, shooting these things on tape. And then uh, videotape, everybody remember videotape? And then <laughs> after they showed it, they went over the tape for something else. You know, tape is tape is re-recordable. You know, and um, believe it or not, this is true. Um, so uh, there only exist, if, if I may correct, please, please, uh, please uh, correct me. Uh, there's only like two or three Ian Hendry, uh, yeah. Patrick McNeil uh, episodes in existence, and one of them's only partial. Uh, it's like a 15-minute clip or something. Right, exactly. One's only a partial, and. Um, but there was there was a season or two, and yes. so uh, so police surgeon didn't work so well for whatever the reason. I really don't have a lot of info on police surgeon, but it was revived as the Avengers. You know, you know, they began it right away with the same character. They brought in John Steed, so uh, you know, I'm not sure what the relationship with his wife was in police surgeon. But anyway, it's not neither here nor there. But. Um, yeah, you you described it pretty well. John Steve was brought in as a government man, and um, Ian Hendry, um, he left at the Avengers for uh, shinier fields, shall we say? Yes. He he tried to make it. Um, he had a he had a particular manner. He had a particular brusque way about him. You know, he very cultured. You could tell the guy was from the theater. And uh, like a lot of our favorite British actors for this time period, a lot of these guys really work shit in the theater. You know, no, no knock at that. But he was a, he was very theatrical in his presence and in the way he spoke and his mannerisms. And actually, one of his better known later roles was in Theater was of Blood. Much. A Theater of Blood, yes. Yeah, it was a Vincent Price movie. Uh, it was a highlighted feature part, I, I, which actually I think in a way he also made fun of Ian Hendry. Um, but wasn't he also and, in uh, Doomwatch, which was a, a kind of popular uh, quater mass-ish, but very environmental British uh, sci-fi series of the early, late 60s or 70s, which still never made it to the no, UK, even in the UK. I think you're thinking of Ian Bannon. Oh, Ian Bannon, yes, you're right, okay. Who was was a heavy set kind of dock worker looking guy? He was mm-hmm. actually, I, if 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 uh, memory serves correct, he was actually a better actor than <laughs> Ian Hendry. I always thought, and uh, 
he uh, he he did a variety of roles. I think because he kind of looked like Ian Stewart, the pianist from the Stones, yes. kind of kind of like a bulky, he had big shelf you know, forehead. He was like Frankensteinish. Yeah. <laughs> But he was, you know, throwing a mustache on the guy. He looked a little bit more likable, you know. And uh, uh, Ian Bannon, uh, I think Ian Bannon made better films. Actually, Ian Hendry. Ian Hendry wanted to be a movie star, I think. Right. And, you know, all terms. So, which leads us up to the Kathy Gale years of the Avengers. Which well, I wouldn't even jump ahead to. yet. Yeah, I wouldn't oh. even jump ahead yet because what I wanted to say was... Uh, that what made this era interesting, beyond the fact that a lot of it was really low rent, you know, the criminals were not really, I mean, you did have a few spy type things, but it wasn't really the sort of thing you would expect to be bringing like MI6 in on. It's like, okay, there's a drug smuggling operation. Here's some dock workers going in, you know, whatever, uh, doing a protections racket or some crap like that. And it was really grotty and more like a, I don't say bad, but more like a policier than it is the Avengers we know. And John Steed, particularly in this era, carries over to the Kathy Gale era, uh, was a fascinating character because he was not the smiley, happy, whatever the hell that people think of from later. He was a bit of a prick. Yes, he was a bastard. And what was interesting about him is he could turn on the charm when he wanted to, but he was very snide and nasty. He was extremely misogynistic. And honestly, he was really cool. He was, he was a real anti-hero. Uh, this was a guy that would smile to your face, you know, shake your hand, be all nice, put on the charm for the ladies or whatever. All the old ladies like, oh, what a nice fellow. And then he'd go and shoot somebody right in the fucking head right there while he's smiling talking to the old lady. It, it was really cold-blooded. And this caused a lot of problems with... Ian Hendry, who was, okay, like you said, he was a very proper character, but his character is also very stiff and, you know, like, oh, I, I don't want to say moral because he was still mourning his wife and everything else, but, you know, remember, he's a doctor. It was a really strange fit. I mean, it was kind of going for not the same dynamic as the Persuaders, but that's sort of like why these two even together kind of a thing. Let's throw these two completely opposite personas together from completely different walks of life and bang, see how they work out together. Uh, and, you know, like I said, I don't know how well it worked, but Steve in this era fascinated me. Uh, so that's what I want to get across on that one. But then, like you said, after they moved on to Kathy Gill, and this is where the series really started to get legs because – with um, the Dr. Keel stuff, I think, I'm not sure if uh, even during his time, or if it was afterwards with Kathy Gilks. In the beginning, what happened was they had switching back and forth. Uh, so they went from Keel to somewhere in there, uh, Venus Smith, who was this talentless hack, uh, like she was like a blonde, uh, I guess like a Lulu, but without even as much talent as that, uh, which is saying something. Um Basically, I, I all I remember is her singing that horrible "The lips that touch Kippers will never ever touch mine." I mean, it was awful, awful music she was singing, and that was her whole shtick. So somehow they would pull her in from being an entertainer. Like that song was in, I think, one called uh, "A Box of Frogs," which was on a cruise ship, and she was supposed to be the entertainment there. God help you, you're trapped on a cruise ship and you got that woman singing to you. Uh, but. Uh, 
they would drag her in from those things to work as a sort of half-assed Matahari, which is ridiculous because she was so, you know, she was British, but it was like that bleach blonde, uh, half-assed Marilyn Monroe meets Doris Day kind of a feel. Like, yeah, okay, you're the Matahari. Yeah, that's gonna well, go far. You know, I think, I, I think, I think they could have based her. You know, very popular at that time period was jazz pop. Yes. Um, uh, Lonnie Donegan was like one of the Skiffle. Skiffle was a very popular music. We're talking at a time period, folks, where like the Stones and the Beatles are just starting out too. And where Skiffle music was very popular. It was kind of a mix of pop and jazz. And so um, uh, Cleo Lane was very popular. Actually, Cleo Lane was a, a vocalist who worked a lot with Johnny Dankworth, who actually would wind up scoring... And creating the G, uh, the music for uh, the uh, Diana Rigg Avengers, and I think they probably probably based a little bit of this character on Cleo Lane, maybe who actually had a long, long run as a well, chantus, shall we say kindly? Yeah, yeah might be able to say that, but I'm seeing more yeah. Petula Clark, Sandy Shaw, Dusty Springfield, but again, without any of the well, counts. Yeah, because she couldn't sing as well as Cleo Lyon. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. I, I think that was, that was their thinking. That was their thinking. Yeah, no, Sandy Shaw is a good, a good nail on that one, yeah. Um, you know, a popular British uh, songstress. But... Um, but I think what they were thinking of, you know, what's popular, and let's have this character do this. Right. But yeah, she couldn't fucking sing, so, you know. <laughs> so anyway, and she wasn't much to look at in the first place unless you're really into Sand- Sandy Duncan-ish blondes. <laughs> and Sandy Duncan was better looking. Are. Uh, so there you go. Uh, takes, you know, what is it, uh, different strokes to rule the world? <laughs> different strokes to different folk. Uh, but... Uh, after while she was on stage, they didn't make her a permanent like okay, this is just going to be the companion. They were kind of fishing around for what to do. So I don't know if this is while Keel was still you know popping in and out for an episode or two, or if it was just while Kathy Gale was there because there was a rotation going on for the the earlier episodes in you know sixty two sixty three that era. Um, the difference with Kathy Gale though was she was a was she a divorcee or a widow. Because I got the impression her husband was dead, not just overseas or something. Um, she was she was a widow, I believe. And, yeah. And and uh, doing research for the show, I don't know how freaking true this is. Uh, it would make a lot of sense. So, uh, Kathy Gill, with which I'm sure you're going to go in depth on, uh, with the her outfits, you know, the leather, the the uh, tricorder length. Um, uh, I don't know what the hell that was. It wasn't really leather, but what a pleather jackets or shirts. Oh, it was leather. It was leather. It was leather. And okay. Uh, they the claim is uh, by people who worked on the show was that they had a lot of unused Ian Hendry scripts. Okay. And so the thing was, I don't know. Again, uh, one of the one of the longtime screenwriter uh, screenplay teleplay teleplay uh, writers show said and I quote well it was much easier to put her in these clothes and have her spout Ian's lines than it was 
to have her dressed all frilly, frilly, girly, girly, <laughs> and the spellings lines, it would be awkward and really wouldn't work. We'd have to come up with something else. Well, I'll throw this one out there, and again, I don't know if it's true, but my wife, who's also a huge fan of the series and of Honor Blackman, uh, says that, and again, I don't know. I thought it was Mrs. Gale, but she said she thought it was Miss Gale, whereas, yeah, this is Peel, and Peel was the one that had the husband that was either overseas or dead or whatever. Uh, even though in one episode, the final episode, you saw her drive away with somebody who looked just like Steve. Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, yeah. yeah, but anyway... Um, I don't know how true that is. It's just something she jumped over and offered to me. So, and she also offered that uh, Keel's husband, uh, Keel's wife, was gunned down. And we were talking about earlier, uh, like I thought, oh, you know, yeah. as opposed to being run over by a car or whatever. Yes, yeah, yeah, that would make her way. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, the thing about uh, Kathy Gale was she was very atypical, particularly for the era. We're talking about the very early 60s here. You know, this is not exactly, you know, 1976, Wonder Woman, Bionic Woman, the feminist movement, ERA, all this kind of crap going down. This is an era where you had a hell of a lot more Venus Smith and, you know, the, the helpless housewife, you know, the I married Joan, like, oh, help me, and that bullshit, run around in a party dress. Um, and all of a sudden, you've got this woman who was totally, totally self-sufficient, totally secure in her own persona, uh, who knew how to pour on the sex and be very sexual, but without being um, what you would get later with Mrs. Peel. Uh, it wasn't for the guys necessarily. She was just, hey, you know, I, I'm doing what I'm doing here. I'm, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know, I'm a human being. I'm a sexual human being, and you like it or you don't like it, which was fantastic. I love this girl. Uh, what happens with her that's really interesting is you'll notice in her stuff she seems to be doing a lot more, I hate to say stunts, but you know, you'll see the fight scenes. You'll see her riding motorcycles. You'll see this kind of thing. And it turns out that she was really like this. She was kind of like a female John Pertwee that when we talked Doctor Who, where she really liked to tackle that shit. And apparently, she, we actually have a book by her, the Honor Blackman Book of Self-Defense, which I highly recommend for anybody that wants to go check this stuff out. It, it actually does teach you some judo. And, you know, of course, it's funny because it's Honor Blackman. Um, what happens is she knew judo. And therefore, she would do the stunts. And what happened, instead of like, okay, we got to take care of our star, the seasoned stuntmen that were working with the BBC for years did not want to work with her because they were getting hurt by her. And not because she was an idiot, because she was taking them and doing judo throws or whatever the hell, and she was taking them down, and they were like, oh my god, this woman's dangerous, I don't want to fuck with her. Uh, so that was like, wow, this girl's great. Uh, and you'll see her doing stuff like, I remember they had one episode, I forget what it was, I think it might have been the uh, the Surfer of H2O or whatever, because uh, I remember there was two old ladies in it that were running a... Uh, they had a windmill, and it had something to do with the, the uh, irrigation. Later. Yeah, but uh, she ended up hanging around with a gang of, they were supposed to be bikers. They were really kind of like, you know, the mods and the rockers. They were like the rockers. Um, and here she is, and she's clearly in her 40s. There's no question about that. Hanging with these people that are like, you know, teenagers, and really they were in their 20s, but, you know, that kind of thing. And, you know, they're coming on to her, and they're, they're giving her bike, bike rides in the back, and she's dancing with them at the, the little their hangout that they do, doing the frog or whatever the hell. It was really funny. I mean, this was an amazing 
step forward, if you will. It's the kind of thing you would expect from a 90s TV heroine, but, you know, with CGI and wire work and all that bullshit. And they're really just kind of like typical girly girls that are like, yeah, I want to be tough and feminist. No, no, no. This girl did not say, oh, I want to be tough and feminist. She was tough, and she was who she was. And yet, very sexual. She wasn't like, you know, what do you want to say? Uh, she wasn't like Hillary Clinton. Uh, she actually was a woman. And it really showed. And the dynamic between her and uh, Patrick McNee as John Steed was charged. Now, it was not charged in the way that you would see with them appeal eventually. But compared to what came before and compared to anything that came afterwards, it was really good. And they were very well matched. Uh, there was a lot of the sass going back and forth, a lot of the innuendos. And you knew that he was also kind of like, <laughs> it wasn't like he could lord it over her. You know, this girl could take him. It wasn't like Mrs. Peel and her like crappy karate chops that look ridiculous. Uh, this was actually like somebody you really didn't want to screw with, even though she was a girl or a woman, as you say. Uh, really, really good stuff. And at, at this point, you got things like Brian Clemens coming in, among others, and really getting some good, colorful scripts. So you're getting to the same kind of thing you would get in the Emma Peel era. Uh, maybe a little bit less Dayglo because some of them were in black and white, but equally entertaining. And in a lot of cases, episodes you probably know best from you know Diana Rigg were remakes of ones that he already did with Kathy Gill with Arnold Blackman. So uh, mm. this is my favorite era. It's my wife's favorite era. Uh, you know, if I'm Appeal never came around, I would still love this show desperately because of this era. Uh, but of course, you know, we'll get to her eventually. So what's your, uh, what would you want to throw in on this? <laughs> well, um, I never liked her clipped way of speaking. Uh, it, it annoyed me. Uh, <laughs> she had a very distinct way of speaking and, um, I think all this comes together for me personally because I met Honor Blackman many years ago, and I did her a favor. I I I had a sixty millimeter print. I actually used to have sixty millimeter prints, folks. It's true. A movie she was in, and somebody, an intermediary, blabbed that I had this to her, and she, and she wanted a copy of it. So this is back in the days when we didn't have really good transfers. So I actually copied this onto VHS, and I made a copy for Honor, and I gave it to her, and she says, "Well, it flickers. You know, <laughs> don't you have like a more pristine copy?" I'm like, "This is a very hard film to get a hold of. <laughs> I don't know many people have the 16. I have. I did this as a favor to you, and she fucking bitched. So my." <laughs> In retrospect, my, my, it just colors my whole... Of course. Ah, I can hear course, that. But, yeah, you can hear that. You understand that. I've but, had st- meetings with stores that have totally changed my opinion of them, so, yeah, I can hear that. <laughs> but but I, I never did like your clip way. Yeah, that is side. That is side. You've got to hear a Shirley Eaton story one day. But <laughs> Well, I'd love to hear that um, one. That is side. Um... Who I did similar favor for. That aside, um, I didn't like her clip way of speaking. I, you know, for years, I used to always look at those as when we finally got to see them. Oh, she's like the Butch Emma Peel. 
Wow. I didn't see the warmth. I didn't see the camaraderie. And you know, I'm not a, I'm not a cute. I met Diana Reagan. I'm going to give you the stories later on. I and not at the convention. It's a great story. Um, I am not a huge uh, Diana Rigg uh, syncophant. I'm not like you know one of these guys that like jerk off her pictures and stuff like that. I, I appreciate her. I appreciate Honor Blackman as well. I think Honor did a terrific job in a lot of movies. Uh, Post Avengers. When yeah. she was dressed up as the um, nun, that was a great scene. <laughs> Lots of things, lots of things, lots of things. Too nervous to mention, actually. Sometimes there were minor roles, but she really stole the picture in some. But I thought, as far as this went, where I could see the later Avengers, not including Tarkin, are amongst my favorite television of all time. And uh, I want to name check some episodes later. And if you want to do some for, for... honor, you're welcome to, um, but I just, it just didn't grab me, it just didn't, I think part of the reason is, you know, these things are, are what we got to see finally are, uh, you know, uh, uh, they weren't shot on film, the other ones right. by ABC TV in America, they would demand that they shoot on film, these were not shot on film, right? and so they have this very strange look. Uh, uh, well, like almost old like TV, a, almost, and it's not quite that bad. It's not kinescope, but you know, it, it's no, the same no, it's idea. Like the earliest Dark Shadows episodes, you remember those? How that they too. Looked? And I like those better than what came later. So that's another uh, parallel for you. <laughs> well, no, 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 I'm not knocking it for that. It was just like in addition to her clip voice, I got this going on. Um, but you know, really, with with Patrick McNeese, he's really not the most likable person. In the uh, on uh, Kathy Gale episodes, and uh, it's really interesting how they kind of made it last. But they also took time off between the Kathy Gale and the beginning of the Diana Rigg, which I find interesting as well. They took yes. they took like a year off. Well, I think what you're catching there too is there is some coldness there. Of course, uh, Honor puts on. It's one of those Hollywoodish things. I don't think she's really like that. I mean, you might know better from meeting her, but she put off that Hollywoodish, uh, you know, okay, you know, I'm so whatever, rich and cultured kind of a thing. Uh, and that's where you're getting that you know, posh accent sort of, that you're picking up. Uh, and again, it's the same thing that I saw in the earlier Avengers when he was with Dr. Keel and with Venus Smith, obviously, which is around the same time. Uh, this is the John Steed I actually prefer. You're right. He's not warm and cuddly. He's not nice. He's not a swell guy that you want to hang around with. He's a fucking killer. <laughs> He's cold-blooded, and he knows how to manipulate people to get what he wants. He just can pour on the charm to do it, and I love that. I, I think that this this is a much more nuanced and developed John Steed than what we get later when they – Boulderize him. They, they make him safe. They make him. Uh, they cut off oh. his nuts, if you will. Well, not entirely. I don't think. No, not entirely. Not the appeal era. Later they do, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Later they do. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. 
So uh, anything else you wanted to say before we move on to Emma? Well, as far as Emma, you know, it's funny. I've been reading all the uh, – I've read this years ago about the man appeal. You know that whole story. Yes. Well, that was supposed to have the genesis of the character. Okay, who am I going to get that's really going to pick up the guys? Because, you know, we had a little bit of that with Kathy Gale, but she was, like you had mentioned, she was a little forbidding. She was a little tough. She was a little, not mannish, but, you know, uh, uh, I guess you could say, like you said, the butch Emma Peel. And this scared people that weren't as... I hate to say secure in their masculinity, but you know what I mean. Guys that are like worried about women that are strong. Guys who want well, that's that. That's what kind we're of... talking about. 1964, 65. Sure. Right. British, you know, you got to remember the British were a lot more tight than we were. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. reserved. Tight ass, you're right. Tight ass, folks. Tight ass. <laughs> Stick up their ass. Uh, and, um, so yeah, so they came up with this thing. Uh, the guys behind the show brainstorm, man appeal. Yeah, yeah, let's think of a name. You know, and, and they went to a couple of yeah. Uh, yeah, very, very fucking lame, very sexist too. Talking about massages before you get out of the, but the get out of the gate, right? But that was um, it. Actually, came from a woman. This was a woman that came up with this. Is okay, we want somebody who's going to have you know pour on the sex, have some like appeal to the men. How about M appeal, man appeal? Okay, there you go, M appeal, perfectly. Oh wow. That's really tacky, but nonetheless. <laughs> and then they found somebody to cast in that role, so they got this glamour model. Well, she yeah, actually was a model. They actually yeah. Went, yeah, they actually went to like twenty actresses. Yes. Which in um, one or one or two of them actually make an appearance in the first season. Um, you're actually, if you're watching the first season of Diana Riggs, and you're like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> there's, there's an actress, a one-off that appears in in the majority of one episode and another one. Um, I, I forgot her name; it's not even worth it. But um, <laughs> no, I'm sure she was a fine actress. You know, she just, and she got the short end of the stick too because they were casting, and what they did was they they really had a tight schedule. So uh, you know, British television production is super tight fucking schedule. So um, they're, they're, they're auditioning people, casting them, shooting episodes, and then deciding whether these people are fitting, which is bizarre and almost unheard of in today. Um, but um, so they're, they're, there's a few people that appeared, and then they decided, okay, we're going to go with Diana Riggs. She actually appeared in a, in a minor role during the Kathy Gale era. Yes. And... Uh, so they auditioned, re-auditioned her, and they found they really clicked, and they decided to retool the whole damn thing. So the, uh, I, I believe the two or three actresses they auditioned and actually shot stuff, they actually wind up going back and retooling those episodes. Talk about yep. like, wow, wow. And so there is footage, and a, a partial, a majority of one actually exists. I think her name was Elizabeth Shepard. Um, yes, yes. Who was in uh, a Hammer film or two. And um, they came out of the gate really strong, though. Um, see, for me, for me, this black and white show, and they, oh, that was the thing, too. They got a deal with, uh, with it was funny, because the ABC, when you see in the promos, is not, of course, ABC, American Broadcasting Network, ABC, 
in England. It was a different network, and it got uh, eaten up by Thames Television Yes. Uh, later on. But they got a deal, and it was one of the first, if not the first, British television show to be shown in America in prime time by, yes. coincidentally, ABC, the American Broadcasting Network. Talk about something going on there. That was true. And they, they gave them more money to make episode per episode. And um, they demanded so, it was in color. Because right off they the bat, the first season was right. still black and white. And again, I tend to prefer these because it gives not just the fact that it is in black and white, but there is a darker, more uh, intense, realistic uh, tone to the series per se. Uh, you still got some of the John Steve we were talking about where he's kind of a, a cold and um, uh, not selfish isn't the word. It's more – and any manipulative isn't necessarily the word. It's more doing what needs to be done at any given time, whatever it takes. And whoever is the casualty of that, hey, so be it. Uh, job has to get done. And that is still in there. It's starting to fade a little bit. He's getting softer. Uh, but it's still there. And I think that even though she is obviously not Kathy Gale, obviously uh, Diana Rigg is a very attractive woman, despite her gunboat feet. I don't know if you have noticed how huge her feet are. <laughs> but, uh, you know, she's extremely attractive. She really pulled off the – remember, this is the mid to late 60s now, so you've got that kind of – uh, Carnaby Street, Mary Quant sort of fashion thing going down, and have, actually having been a model, now instead of just going around in leather pantsuits and things like that, uh, now they have this woman going around that's basically a fashion plate, uh, and women would probably follow her example, or she was following theirs, depending on how you look at things. Um, it became very uh, de mode, if you will. And there's a lot to be said for all this. And their dynamic is different because, as you mentioned, there was more uh, – I don't know if it was coldness, but compared to this, it was colder uh, between uh, Honor Blackman and Patrick McNeil, at least in terms of the characters on screen. Uh, here, the chilliness goes away. Um, Diana Rigg was a more – because obviously she wasn't really an actress. Uh, she was probably under his wing very much. And therefore, they had a more, I don't want to say father-daughter dynamic, but you know what I'm saying. There's a little more warmth there. He was clearly helping her out and you know, showing her the ropes, if you will. And there was more affection there. Uh, not that there wasn't, you know, the other two didn't like each other at all. That wasn't the case. But uh, in terms of I'm more dependent on this guy, let me follow his lead. And then they started playing off each other, and they started being more joking and uh, the sexual innuendos got worse, if you will. They got stronger. Um, and that started to get ramped up more and more and more. And even in the black and white era, uh, I, actually, particularly in the black and white era, all these elements, you know, the old series and the new series are working together in tandem, and therefore you have probably what is the best season of the series, per se. Much as I love the, uh, the Honor Blackman stuff, the Kathy Gale stuff, uh, ostensibly, if I'm going to go to ones here, I say, oh yeah, the black and white appeals are the best. Uh, I know people think the color ones are the best. I do not. I, I think I really started getting cheesy there. But 
nonetheless, these are the beginning of the ones that everybody remembers, and I think it really is where it, – it's almost like the peak. You know, the series is going up, up, up. There's the peak, and then it drops, drops, drops. <laughs> so this is really where it works, um, despite the introduction of some really cheesy shit. You know, the British love to – I'll get you, let you get in a second before I go off on a tangent here. But the British love to have these ridiculous characters they latch onto, like with Doctor Who, it's those fucking Daleks. I hate the Daleks. I thought they were stupid from day one. I saw oh. like one episode that I liked them in, and that was it. Oh, God. I saw one episode that I liked them in, and that was it. Uh, it it's just like – Really, I know what the you know what's the entire nation that was trying to make a statement about fascism. Okay, that's cool. I can understand Genesis of the Daleks and all of that, but really, it just didn't work. Uh, you know, and then you have like the Cybermen. Okay, that's a little scarier because you know it could be like people going and becoming more automated, and then the kind of things are happening to us today. They were warning us about back then. All right, fine, but you know they really like that. Whatever that you need to bring them back every freaking Doctor every couple of episodes. Fuck the Daleks. Screw the Cybermen. Get out of here. So they tried to do that with the Avengers, believe it or not, and they had these stupid things called the Cybernauts, which I think the mm. first time was Michael Gow, and then later it was um, – wasn't that Peter Cushing? Chris Lee. Chris Lee. Yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah. and Peter Cushing later on, yeah. Yep, and then uh, they just kept bringing them back, and every time it was worse. I'm, but if you listen to, quote, Avengers fans, they oh, yes, the Cybernauts. Oh, those are my favorite episodes. Oh, please, stick something down my throat so I can throw up on your foot. I mean, <laughs> horrible, horrible. So they start bringing in the cheese as well. So you can see that even though it's at the peak, things are starting to get a little bit meh. All right, we went from being a low-rent crime series to being a pretty cool, engaging, spy-ish series. Uh, with a nice dynamic, you know, male-female dynamic that was strong on both sides, to being more of a playful, you know, male-female dynamic and you know, a sexy girl and whatever the hell else. Uh, but then it just starts really getting to the camp and you know, not going down the toilet yet, but we're starting to get there. The the, the seeds are being sown for when it goes down the crapper later with Tara King. So go ahead. <laughs> well. I, I, I think episodes like the Cybernauts, uh, you know, I agree, they're not my favorites. Um, but when you are writing you know, X amount of shows in a uh, time frame, I mean, they're imaginative. They just, the, the, the disappointing next, like the first episode, you know, one of the things that I always thought was really cool about the Avengers, Diana Rick, or was that they thought of really cool names for the little towns. You know, we, we, we always uh, name-check uh, a, lot, a lot of popular... It takes the Mission Impossible American shows that sometimes... They were globe-tropping. Uh, globe-hopping, sorry. Globe-hopping. Yeah. Globe-tropping, globe-hopping. <laughs> and, they, you know, they had names of countries like Vladivostok and Hoistnik, <laughs> Hoistnik. And, 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 and the most macabre Avengers episodes... They were like quaint little towns where freaky shit happened, like yes. little Basie, you know, and and uh, uh, something Basingstoke, you know, like really British names. Like I don't know what happened. He went out to Basingstoke for the weekend and disappeared, you know. <laughs> and um, the town of No Return, which is like one of my favorites, yes. is like the That's first one they did. Um, it, it's so freaking. 
bizarre. Um, and uh, is that episode. the same episode, or was it redone? Uh, the one where they had the RAF base that was supposedly abandoned, but they were really training, like Russian spies oh. or whatever. Oh, that's the hour that never was. Yes, okay, another good one. I mean, a lot of really good ones are in here. Man Eater or Surrey Green. I mean, okay, you're talking about these things that are very, you know, spy, but, you know, realistic base. You know, you can see this happening in the Cold War era. Uh, and then you got something like that where it's like Day of the Triffids, you know, basically. Or a uh, small game for Big Hunters where they have the guy that's uh, basically like an H. Ryder Haggard type. Uh, and he's got that cage with the leopard in it. You, you remember that. It was crazy. Uh, uh, or... Um, the house that Jack built, where the one's got the trying to get vengeance on him, appeal for some reason, and he puts her in that crazy like uh, clockwork house with, where you can never really get out of it. Uh, it's he, like a but you he, know, there's a lot. Of, go ahead. But even ones that shouldn't work actually are are amongst my favorites, like Death at Bargain Prices. They somehow it looks like Harrods. They somehow got the you know they somehow <laughs> all the shot butlers at Harrods. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the the huge department. No, the one with the huge department store. Oh yes, yeah. And the and the, there's a, a nuclear weapon, a terrorist plot, which is an early, early, uh, you know, atomic device thing going on there. So which is pretty cool. And uh, Castle of the Yath, which was one of my yes. favorites. I mentioned uh, Surfer of the well before, you, and of course everybody's favorite, at least if they've uh, if they're a male, is uh, Touch of Brimstone, which. Not only uh, when we took the comic show uh, several weeks back, uh, this is where Claremont and Byrne got the whole entire Dark Phoenix saga from, the whole Hellfire Club thing. Uh, you know, when we talked to the uh, British cult television and we were talking about Jason King and Peter Wingard, that's who you know, uh, Jason Wingard was. That, that's mastermind. That was the whole deal there. Uh, the Black Queen of the Hellfire Club, guess who that was? That was Emma Peel from this episode. There's a lot of ties to this episode, and it works in a lot of respects because it touches on and covers the infamous Hellfire Club, uh, which actually did exist, uh, as no other show or film I had tried to do before. I mean, there's a film out there called The Hellfire Club, which is entertaining in its own right, but it has nothing to do with this. Uh, there are moments in, I think, Plague of the Zombies, if, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that were taken from this in the beginning. Remember with the guys going around the fox hunt and it involved the women? Uh, you know, that sort of a thing. Uh, I know it's one of those hammer films from that era. Um, but none of them ever addressed it quite so directly as this one. I mean, it was for television, yes. But think about this, that it was banned from U.S. television. Uh, I don't think we, it ever aired on U.S. television, but it certainly didn't at the time that we were doing the, um, in the broadcast on both countries. So it was definitely banned for years, if not forever, until it came to DVD. Uh, very, very sexy stuff uh, going around in a uh, a little bathing outfit, I guess, with uh, thigh-high boots and uh, a spiked collar. <laughs> it's kind of an unforgettable image uh, of Diana Rigg. So go ahead. Oh, yeah. That, that thing was leather, too. And uh, yep. that must have hurt her labia. Um <laughs> Uh, it looked like actually that was one of her complaints toward the end of the first season. She did with them was like the leather was hurting. You know, it was really super tight fitting leather, 
And and, and rumors are she was going to walk unless they, they did something. Because yeah, it was a holdover from the Kathy Gale leather era. Exactly. Right. And um, and uh, she's a bigger woman, taller. She had big feet. I don't know about that, but you're kind of thinking about her feet. <laughs> but <laughs> Quentin Tarantino that you are. Um, so, um, yeah, I, 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 it's outrageous the costume she wore to touch a brimstone. I mean, besides the, the joking things I mentioned, um, it's like this wow. This is 1966. You couldn't get away with that on television now. <laughs> oh, so. no, definitely, definitely. I mean, have you ever heard of anything called camel toe? This is like, if you got a big TV, boys, you're going to be happy. This um, is a trip to the vault, people. I mean, this is <laughs> this is not something you see on television <laughs> on ABC. Yeah, yeah. And, and Peter Wingard is 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 very very oh, creepy. Peter fantastic in this. Oh, please. I mean, I love him in Jason King. That that's really always oh, his role. Oh, fantastic! For, but, but he's creepy, fantastic. You know, yes. he's he's playing this. He's playing this. Uh, and actually, uh, the funny thing was the the only. Precedent for this was actually portions of the prologue in uh, Terence Fisher's Curse of the Werewolf. You remember that? Yes, that was maybe what I was thinking of. I know it was a hammer film from around an era uh, because they had an intro where there were, you know, rich shitheads going around and they basically were all um, Sir Francis Dashwood types and they were terrorizing the area. And women that were caught, you know, on their own or whatever, they would basically do a fox hunt, which was really just a person hunt. And then they would take them home. And, of course, you know, the winner got the spoils and it became kind of really unsavory, uh, as you can imagine. I won't spell it out, but you know where I'm going. Uh, mm. But, yeah, I mean, that's kind of it. This, he was in, in this role a he televised version of Sir Francis Dashwood. So – Take everything decadent that you saw in Jason King that we discussed when we were talking about British Gold Television and ramp that up by, you know, 50. <laughs> and you've got his character here. Again, it's a television show. It doesn't go as far as it, quote, could. But, you know, considering, uh, it was like, wow. It's, it's a jaw-dropping episode and definitely one of my favorites. And obviously, you know, these guys that had seen it uh, when they were in England, that, that was the thing. Both of them used to be uh, Canadian and, and in England at some point when they were young. Claremont and Byrne, it left an indelible image in their heads that they brought over to the comic books. And now, you know, to this day, people talk about the Hellfire Club, the Dark Phoenix saga, as being like, oh, this is the pinnacle of comic books. And it really kind of is. If you That and the uh, Shang-Chi Master of Kung Fu that uh, Doug Munch and Gene Day and Paul Galassi did, there's really nothing in comparison to those. Um, it's very adult comics, the kind that you don't get even nowadays. Uh, and a lot of it was basically based on this episode. So it says a lot, a very strong episode. Yeah, and, and, and another one uh, that was uh, Outre uh, was Honey for the Prince. Yes. Uh, a little bit more comedic, but it still had a lot of... Uh, Spicy visual stuff going. It on. was kinky enough because, as you can imagine, you're talking about being part of a sultan's harem, if you will. So, but go ahead, finish up. Well, no, the the, the costumes she, she wore uh, were, were, were uh, <laughs> revealing enough. Were, uh, yeah, yeah, more of the same. Um, there was, uh, I mean, of course, yeah, you know, nothing, nothing to hold the candle to uh, touch a brimstone, but there was still. Again, for, for 
television for this time period. Crazy, crazy. And you know, the most bizarre thing is, um, I forgot who the, uh, the customer was, but one of the things is she, she wouldn't start the color season until they did something about the uh, the leather, which, which I mentioned before. Right. So they came up with a kind of fabric, um, which, which I think is hilarious. They came up with this particular kind of fabric, which I wasn't aware of, it's kind of a, a tight-fitting, super tight-fitting felt. So I guess she had more mobility. And um, and it was probably less hot under those lights. Except that it's a very strange fabric. And for the majority of the color run that she had with the show, she was wearing these one-piece... She would occasionally go back to leather, but she was wearing these one-piece uh, pantsuits that were... One solid color, like purple or, or crazy, and and it was like, what is this? Because it was highly sexualized. I mean, yeah. like she went from one thing to the other, and then at the same time, um, it's still very strange for television. Um, yeah. Would, would then, you agree? Definitely. I mean, this. This whole black and white season, even when it was weak, it was strong. Uh, it, it took the elements of the Kathy Gale series that worked, minus the woman herself. You know, you didn't get the judo, you didn't get the same level of sass. You know, it, uh, Diana Riggs' level of sass was very different from Honor Blackman's. Uh, it wasn't as refined and quote proper on the surface, but it also wasn't as direct and um, you know push you down on the bed kind of thing as Honor Blackman. It was more of a innuendos and oh come take me I'm the female I'm I'm open to your your advances and of course you know guys especially that era really dug that as opposed to the other whereas I'm more prone to the former <laughs> but you know. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of guys nowadays, you know, being more used to uh, the post-feminist movement, are more inclined to more like a Kathy Gale type. But uh, there definitely is appeal to the uh, what Diana Rigg brought to the role, especially since, she, like I said, she was gorgeous. If you didn't look at her feet, <laughs> but uh, anyway, the the whole season was extremely, extremely strong. And as I said earlier, it was kind of the pinnacle. Unfortunately, from here out. Um, it doesn't go down the toilet for a bit yet, but it really gets strange. Now they go into color, and it gets very necessarily day glow because it's 60 television. It's in color. They want to exploit the medium. There's a lot of day glow fashions. You know, it was the era it was from. It's kind of like watching Dark Shadows in color of that era. It's like, whoa, what the hell is this? Especially after you just well, came out well, of black and white the, Dark Shadows. The other thing is they took like a year off. Uh, British TV tends to work that way. Too, for some bizarre reason, when when they ended the black and white Dan Reed season, they took practically a year off before they even started um, the color season. So um, it, it's a very you know a lot happens in in we're talking oh, in that the summer of love hasn't happened yeah. yet actually. This and wasn't so, like nowadays where you can go 20 years and not a fucking thing has changed culturally. Uh, people are still listening yeah. to the same shitty music, still wearing the same shitty clothes, still driving the same shitty cars. But back then, I think I'd mentioned it previously, the cycle was that things would change dramatically every five years. 
I mean, look at you know 1951 versus 1956. Look at 1956 versus 1960 versus 1965 versus 1969 versus 1975 versus 1979 versus 1985 versus 1989. Dramatic, dramatic changes that only stopped somewhere in the 90s where it just kind of like stayed the same and nobody wanted to change anymore and it just – everything sucks for like whatever it's been, 25 years. Uh, but – Culturally, musically, fashion-wise, in terms of things that were happening politically, socially, uh, it was really a a tidal wave of change going on in the 20th century at that point. Um, So, yeah, I mean, to take one year off back then would be like, say, you were off the air for 15 years now, if not more so, you know, 25 years. Uh, Oh, look, here they are back again. What? Really? <laughs> that's a lot of fashion, isn't it? Oh no, wait, they just totally changed it. Okay. Uh so that's what happened here. Even though it is the same characters and more or less the same writers and everything else, it changes kind of dramatically. And you know, yeah, like I said earlier. Everything, yeah, everything yeah. everything from hints of strangeness, you know, the hour that never was, uh, Touch of Brimstone, uh, The Man in Dressary Green, you know, touches of sci-fi and whatever within the spy traffics. We now got more... There were like mini Hammer movies, mini Amicus films after a while. And, and, and some of them are quite good. And some of them are eh. There's very yeah. few in the, the color season of the Diana Rig Patrick beat that I feel sock. Uh, just some of them are eh, you know, but some of them are quite good, though. Uh, like from Venus with Love. I, I love that one. It's so freaking out there. Yeah, what happens Not is that... Not my favorite by far, but, but I like it a lot. I get the impression that everybody was following Timothy Leary and you know, turning on, tuning in, and dropping out because there's a very acid feel to what happens with the Avengers. Uh, it's not as pronounced still with the Emma Peel stuff as it became afterwards, but it really starts getting a little bit, if not ridiculous, and like you said, outre. Um, you know, stuff like the see-through man, or, or what's the one where the guy, uh, the comic book comes, the Wing Avenger, the comic book le- character actually comes to life supposedly and starts murdering people. Uh, yeah, no, it wasn't bad. It was just like what? And then they have uh, the one that's making fun and very co- a lot of comedy comes in. Uh, remember Epic? You know the one where uh, it's like an Eric von Strong yeah, type character. Yeah. Peter Wingard's in this one too, but it's strange. Um, you know, funny thing happened on the way of the station. I mean, already they're referencing movies of the time. Funny thing happened on the way of the forum. What the hell does it do with the Avengers? Um, the Joker is another one that's actually even creepier than the house that Jack built. Same idea though. Uh, oh, the Joker. The Joker yeah. is probably one of the best episodes it is. in the whole damn thing. It's and very, very good. It's very yeah, yeah. Look at and that. another one that I like a lot is uh, the Superlative Seven, uh, the one where oh, basically yes, yes. yeah, great. It's like an Agatha Christie. It's like an Agatha yeah. Christie with John Steed in it. Um, it is so that, good that one. And Donald Sutherland. I mean, that was another thing we didn't mention, folks. Is that oh, there's a lot of British feel- character actors. Yeah. Yes, thank you. A lot of Andrew Keir, um, Warren Warren Mitchell. Uh, if you watch Clark, of, uh, uh, Ian Cuthbertson, uh, Peter Cushing, we mentioned. Bob Moody, uh, Green, Barbara Shelley, John Pertwee shows up a lot. Trevor Bannister, uh, Ronnie Barker, Ronnie. Yeah. Julian Glover. 
Michael Gow, uh, uh, Christopher Leaf, I didn't say him already. Jeez, uh, I mean, Peter Wingo, we already mentioned. Uh, Nigel Green, you think you mentioned. Uh, Howard Marion Crawford. I mean, there's a lot Some of people. Up Barbara Shelley. Who played the, remember the one where Steed and Mrs. Peel changed minds? Oh, yes. And there was, <laughs> there was a Russian guy. Freddie Jones like, in that one. Was there Freddie Jones? Okay. And, 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 and the, was that who that was? That's who that was. Yeah, it was this big supposed to be a Russian, this big lady. Big softy, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but she was kind of thinking away. You know. I, mean, I mean, she wasn't fat. She's just, like, you know, nine feet tall. You know, like, bigger than Emma Peel. So. <laughs> she was big. She had big feet. Probably. She had big feet. Yes, I'm sure she did. <laughs> but she didn't put her up on a desk like Emma Peel does uh, and wiggle her toes at you. Um uh, but then again, you got stuff like Return of the Cybernauts, or even the one you just mentioned there, Who's Who, where they switch minds, or you know, there, there's like episodes that are like, why the hell are they doing this? And then they redo ones like you know, Fifty Thousand Dollar Breakfast was really one that they did in the um, uh, the Kathy Gale days. Um, yeah. You've just been murdered. I mean, that was an interesting one. I mean, it wasn't a great one, but I did enjoy it. Uh, Murdersville. I mean, you know, there, there's good episodes in here, but things get more. I hate to say sci-fi, but really over-the-top and possibly quite deliberately campy. They're getting more panto. Uh, and while there's something to be said but, for that in a way, because you know how many other series were doing that, it's like, well, what the fuck is this? Is this really the Avengers? Or where, where are we going here? So. Yeah, but, but with all that being said, though, there's, there's still nothing quite like going back to the, the opening uh, well, at least the first shot from Venus with Love, which is investigating these astronomers, or yeah. amateur otherwise, who you hear this. I mean, the sound design on the color season is really good. I mean, yep. they're, they're going all out here. I don't know what the budgets were with these guys are working at. Working now, that was a great one. I really liked the setting as well, because they're going there to um, the observatory, basically, where the telescopes are. And, you know, it really... And they're making it like, oh, wait, is it something from the stars killing these people? No, of course not. But, you know, they were still capturing some of the magic that they, the series was capable of doing. They hadn't really kind of flushed it yet. They're like testing the waters and, and expanding. And, you know, as you know, expansion sometimes can bring in nice stuff, but it usually doesn't work. So, uh, but go ahead. Well, there were interesting things. There was, you know, the. Uh, the, the eerie sound that gets louder and louder and more uh, yep. uh, repetitive uh, of the sound, supposedly, of whatever it is that's coming through the uh, telescope and uh, that inflects death upon these people. And a lot of great character actors in, 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 in this one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's like a blast of sound and light. I mean, really well done for, you know, one hour show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's like, what is it? Is there a comet coming down from space? You know, you don't really know until you figure out what you it is later. You don't really know. That's the thing. And then, you know, of course, it's like a freaking space cult. And then, it, but it's more involved than that. And then it yeah. becomes like, you know, we, I'm sure the writers, will, you know, this is really good, but we have to tie this up really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we ha- we have to 
you know, where no one thinks. You know, everybody's been thinking for 40 minutes. We have to tie this up really fast now. Um, <laughs> and one that should work, which, which, which you mentioned, the Winged Avenger. You know, comic book, uh, comic book uh, uh, illustrator and, and creator, and you know, the Steve visits him, and the guy's like, "Oh, well, my character goes rah, rah. But the cool <laughs> thing is, the killer walks up the side of buildings, and he has this really cool claw thing. Yep, which he he latches onto the the blocks of cement to to you know crawl up the building. And it's like thunk, thunk, and it's like really. It's we're accepting it because it's kind of eerie and it's kind of displacement and it's working in our psychedelic sized minds. Like, well, this shouldn't work, but this is actually sort of working, you know? Very, yeah. Very strange thing going on there. And that's kind of um, how the season was. I mean, a lot of it should not have worked. I mean, if you compare it just objectively to what came before, it's like, what the fuck are they doing half the time? Half the time. Now, their half is like perfect. Well, but. You know, but a lot of it case, still does work. Even the bad stuff is like, okay, well, it's not that bad. It's still well, pretty good. Here's a bad film with an actor we like, uh, which is along the lines of a cybernaut type of picture, like Never Never Say Die with uh, Chris Chris Lee. Right. Who, what was his character's name? Dr. Stone or Frank Stone or, you know, they were supposed to be joking around with him. And he gets run over getting killed. <laughs> Yeah, yes. he keeps getting killed. I don't know why they just didn't call it. He keeps getting killed. Um, it's a very cybernauts kind of thing, very Frankenstein. It's a jokey, and I think it might have even been written for him. I don't know. It's possible. Um, yeah. It, it's but it's too jokey, and it's like one of these yeah. episodes that really takes us out of the Avengers. World. That's what I mean. You start to see the cracks this season. For all everybody like says, oh yes, this is the greatest because it's got the peel steed dynamic and it's in color uh, and it's less, uh, it's more safe. It's less scary than what was going on before because Steed has become like a nice guy all of a sudden, uh, which is strange because he's supposed to be a secret agent, an MI6 guy, but he's lost his edge already. Um, but you know, he's still efficient. He still does his job. So therefore, if you're looking at it more on the lines of like a harder-edged Zodiac than you know what came before with the Avengers, okay, yeah, sure, it works pretty good. Uh, but you're starting to see the cracks. You know, all of a sudden it's like, what the fuck are they doing here? Why are they trying to be funny with this? Why, why are they getting that far out that it no longer works as well as it should? It's still working because you like the characters. It's still working because uh, the dayglowness of it is arresting in imagery terms. But it's starting to get like, ay, 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 what the hell? <laughs> All right, well, we'll see what happens next season, and unfortunately. So uh, is there anything else you want to say about this season? Oh, yeah, yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to name check a few more. Uh of Seven, which we mentioned. Yes, uh, great cast. Charlotte, Charlotte Rampling. Yes. Who... Uh, Became the darling of everybody in the 70s and early 80s. Uh, she's still around. She still acts. Brian mm-hmm. Blessed. Who I love. How could you he's, not love Brian Blessed? He's something else, that guy. <laughs> he's like... McDonald's? Uh, yeah, please. No, I was going to say, he's like the John Reese davies but if you crossed him with... I don't know what, the guy's just bombastic. 
I've I've heard people talking, and it's like you walk into him in a room, and he'll start like giving an anecdote, and all of a sudden he'll be blowing out your ears and blowing out the speakers, the microphones, delivering some insane thing, going into song. I mean, the, the guy is. I hate to say he's nuts, but he's very, very over the top and theatrical, and you know he is the sort of character that he played in a lot of movies, like for instance in Flash Gordon. You know that kind of is yeah. the Brian Blessing character. I mean that's who he is. Yeah, he's. Um, I can't see how you would hate him. He's just too much fun. But you know he's a love him or hate him kind of guy. He's not like somebody anybody can be neutral about. I'm like yeah, whatever. Brian Blessing is like no, no. He, Brian Blessing comes in the room. You pay fucking attention. You don't have a choice. <laughs> oh yeah, so. and, 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 and 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 you know, and uh, you probably remember him from Mike Claudius. Yes, of course. Uh, I love Mike Claudius. Yeah, he, was, he was terrific in Mike Claudius with Derek Jacobi. Uh, you know, he was like one of the best things. And John Hurt. Hurt. Well, yes, Hurt was the yeah, one thing right. everybody remembers. Caligula was unbelievable. But yes, you're right. Blessed was. <laughs> yeah, it yes. was great, uh, great stuff. If so, you're growing up in that in that time period, and you saw I Claudius on TV, you were truly fucked up. Oh yeah, it was Just great. To, yeah, but, Patrick Stewart with hair. You remember that? That was the thing. I was at a tender age when that was on air, and of course, my mother being—I'd say like cultured, but you know, she was a singer and she did opera. She was a huge fan, like Renato Tabaldi, Renato Scotto, and all them. So I grew up with all that stuff. We used to watch live at the Met all the time. And when something like that came on, not only was we watching stuff like the Avengers and stuff like Dark Shadows, all those things that she loved. But, you know, we watched I, Claudius all the way through. And I was like, you know, in the beginning, I was like, okay, this is interesting. You know, I was looking forward to what was happening or whatever. And then John Hurt and Brian Blessed came on screen. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> what am I watching? This is great all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, really, really awesome. Yeah, and there was a naked Helen Merritt, too. Yeah. Uh, yes, there was. And this is on Channel fucking 13, public broadcasting. Uh, <laughs> that was, yeah, I mean, and the whole thing with, you know, Claudius and Drusilla and all that. Yeah. We won't get into the story. Anybody that knows Roman history, that's actually part of what made me go back and dig into like Suetonius and uh, Tacitus and uh, the Augustan history and all those kind of things. Uh, I highly recommend Suetonius. Anybody that has uh, doesn't know what I'm talking about, check out on Third Eye Cinema. Uh, look up the literary section for the Journal of Decadence, and I definitely did discuss some of that in there. Uh, I love Suetonius. Uh, it's definitely worth taking the time to read him. It is <laughs> some of the best, most entertaining. Uh, he's been accused of being gossipy, but of course, you know that means that he brings it to life. And, you know, I, they say, oh, well, you can't prove this is true. Yeah. You know what? This is not, you know, nowadays, it wasn't tabloid TV. This stuff is pretty much documented record. It's just other people kind of danced around it to be polite, to be, you know, whatever. Oh, this was a Caesar. We can't talk, you know, tell the truth about him. He tells the truth. And there's, you don't have to read too far between the lines to go, oh, my God. <laughs> really? <laughs> it brings history to life, and it shows you that people are people whenever you, whatever time period they're from. So, Nothing changes. Really good stuff. Uh, so I highly recommend it. And if you've not heard of any of this stuff, like I said, you can go check out uh, the General Decadence on Third Eye Cinema. It might give you some tips. So, go ahead. Oh, that was a customary segue. Um, <laughs> then there's the Joker, which is just so good. <clears throat> I love the Joker. That was, um, yeah. like I said, it was the house that Jack built done right. 
Not that the Hospital Jackpot wasn't a great episode, but this one is scary. It's got the hammer feel, but more darkness to it, more the sense of danger, like, oh, my God, is she really going to get killed in this episode kind of a thing, as opposed to, oh, yeah, you know, they get out of it because it's episodic TV. This was creepy. I mean, the guy's like a stalker, and the stakes are high, and things get kind of, I don't know. I mean, there's a grimness to British uh, film of the 70s that you will pick up that's darker than just about anything else. Spanish horror of the 70s had its own grimness that was different. But there's the same sort of fatalism, but more, I don't know, it's more affecting, it's more personal with British horror of the 70s. And this here, even though it was 1967, uh, it definitely anticipated that. It feels like Pete Walker. Uh, I guess that's the best place to leave it. And somewhere to Pete Walker and Amicus. Uh, that feel is going on here. Very, very dark episode. And, you know, Steve is basically incommunicado the whole time. He's like, well, what happened to Mrs. Peel? And he's like 45 minutes in, and he's like, oh, well, what? You said she went over here, and he's still trying to tailor down. He has no idea what this woman is. And, you know, things are really going badly for her. So uh, very tense episode. Really good and definitely one of the best of the uh, the Peel era. Well, yeah, it's got, it's got a lot of really unusual touches. It's got this, this uh, record player... LP that keeps playing the same kind of almost hard, solemn German song. And it's got things like um, like the hints at that Emma previous to the season or previous to the previous season had some relationship with this character. Yes, definitely. You're not quite sure the depth You don't know what though. Right. Yeah, yeah. So you're not quite sure what's going on, the depth of that relationship, and why he's so bitter, and why he seeks revenge, or is he seeking revenge? You know, it's very strange. It's very macabre. And you know what it reminded me of? And, and it's a much more successful version. Hammer. Hammer Films tried to do a lot of these terror-type movies. Oh, yeah. Uh, what do you think, like uh, Fear in the Night or something? Fear in the Night, um... Uh, the one with Susan Strasberg. What was the really uh, good one with Oliver Reed? Was that Mac- not Macabre? Paranoia. Was- Paranoia, yes, I love that one. It was Paranoia. And then um, uh, there were a lot of those. A Taste of Fear may have been another one. Um, mm-hmm. So they were all hit and miss. A lot of them were strangely in black and white, even though they were made a little later on in the game. So it's it's... You know, it's tough. It's a tough call, but I, I always thought that this was this one-hour episode was much more successful at that kind of thing that Hammer was trying to do. I mean, it's really that good, really that yes. good. Very true. So basically, what happened here was, uh, just like with Honor Blackman, uh, she got the offer to do a Bond film. Now, Blackman kind of struck gold because she wound up doing Goldfinger. I didn't particularly yeah. like her as Pussy Galore in that film, even though it was a great film. Uh, I didn't find her. She didn't bring the same uh, sex appeal that she had in The Avengers. She had the strength, but not the sex appeal. She became more butch, like you were saying, um, mm. despite the great name they gave her. But Peel, when, when Diana Rigg went to do a Bond film... 
she got stuck with Lazenby and uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, which in retrospect is a better film than any of us thought for decades. Uh, and nowadays, mm. oh, yes, it's one of the greatest bullshit. It's not one of the greatest. But it's a lot better than people gave it credit for for about 20 years uh, after it was made. Uh, because people did not like Lazenby. They didn't like he was going on TV, making like he was the greatest. And then, oh, yeah, they, basically he tried to up his rates because he thought he was so wonderful. And Broccoli and Salt and Tom go fuck himself. And they moved on. And they actually got um, Connery back for one last film. And then they moved on to uh, what's his face after that? Uh, Roger Moore. Um which, you know, was a good choice, considering. Uh, Last me was not the most... Uh, even though I like him in a couple of things I've seen him out, he's in like that great Jalo uh, who saw her die, Chiavis de Morita, mm-hmm. uh, and a couple other things like that. Uh, and I don't have a problem with Lazenby as an actor. It's just he definitely... You know, he was like a Marissa Tomei. He really got a big head for no reason. Um, but the film itself, other than things like Telly Savalas and some of the nice settings, was not the greatest. I didn't like the idea of... Bond gets married, Bond loses his bride, whatever the hell else. So oh, it's in the book. That, it's in the book. I know, but it's it wasn't a great book. It wasn't a great whatever. It was it was definitely like a, a not the <laughs> series. Uh, <laughs> so you know you've got okay, look, Tim Appeal, there she is, Diana Rigg, and she's just playing the bride of George Lazenby, and she gets shot in the head at the end, and the, it closes out on the credits. Are like you know the broken windshield where the, the shotgun, the gunshot was. I'm like, wow, this film sucks. I mean, nowadays I don't feel that way. I was like, okay, this film's interesting, but it's yeah, it, she got the short end of the stick there. So what happened is they brought in. They, they started to figure out what the hell they were going to do. Uh, the well, there's an interesting was, thing that transpires during all this. Yeah, good. Which is which is the screen testing. Lots yes. of people and 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 Brian Clemens and Albert Fennell are out. Yeah, they and fired they them, but back. then they brought them back. <laughs> well, the. the well, the guy from the Kathy Gale era is back. Um, I forgot his name. Sorry. Sorry, folks. Uh, <laughs> the guy from the Kathy Gale era is back. And Linda Thorson was his girlfriend. And so Jump that was the easy thing. Yes. So that was the easy thing for them to do. Except they realized because... Diana was so well loved and so yes. popular. They just could not get away with. Hey, our most popular actress is no longer on the show. So yep. actually, after they finished shooting, um, and then I'll let you go back to Tara King. I'm sure you're gonna rip her apart. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but because they realize, I mean, like, how do you not realize this? She just, you know, she she stopped working. She went to the Bond movie. They took another year off. British TV, thank you so much. And the, the screen casting, they decided to hire his girlfriend. Okay, cool. And um, <laughs> apparently they wanted to dye her hair blonde, Linda Thorson. Yeah. And they burned her scalp, and she winds up doing the first few episodes with the wig. Yep. And apparently he couldn't even use the first few episodes because something went wrong. I'm not sure what's going on with this. They have to, after she finishes work on Her Majesty's Secret Service, they actually had Diana Rigg come back. So yes. the first episode of the new season 
with Lindsay has Lohan, Diana Rigg which in actually un- right, which undermines Linda Thorson because Diana Rigg's in the whole episode. <laughs> yes. Linda, Linda Thorson only shows up at the very end. Yep. Okay. Which actually almost saves that episode. Um, but <laughs> um, <laughs> as you had mentioned, Linda Thorson was cast for one reason and one reason only. She was the at the time producer's girlfriend. Uh, and she was green. She didn't have a lot of experience under her belt. And she was told because she was, and you can watch the screen yourself, she's kind of fucking fat. Uh, so they told her she had to lose, I, I hate to say 10 stone, but they, they, they told her to lose a ridiculous amount of weight just to get on air. So she was even fatter than she is on air. Um, which really, especially at the time... Was like what so the we, fuck? Are you crazy? You, you can't have somebody like that on screen. You just lost what was universally across you know both continents at least acknowledged as one of the most beautiful women on television, and you're gonna bring some like you know boring fat broad on? What are you crazy? No, on, she, was she, was a, she was a chunky chick. Yeah, she was a chunky chick. That's exactly right. And she still was a chunky chick after losing however many stone they told her to lose. Uh, so. Oh. Uh, you got this girl Tara King, who Linda Thorson, who was a bad actress, uh, remained a bad actress. Was she had no freaking personality. Basically, her thing was that she's an English rose, which is uh, code for she can't fucking act and she's boring. Um, she had short hair, uh, which is already unappealing to me. Uh, she and I'm, I assume a lot of guys out there. Uh, they've done scientific studies that guys tend to prefer long hair whether they have it up or down. Um, she was kind of like, who was that horrible one? Rosemary Nichols from uh, Department S. Same idea, not as bitchy. Uh, definitely more like doe in the woods, you know, deer in the headlights kind of a thing. That's how she acted. She was like a deer in the headlights all the time. Um, she was just terrible. There's no two ways about it. And seeing her after Kathy Gill, who would, you know, go face down an army with you because she didn't give a shit. Okay, bring them on. Uh, and then uh, Diana Riggs and Appeal, who was, you know, not as believably tough, but certainly was sassy and definitely unafraid to take things head on and with a smile and a sexual joke in the, in the middle of it. Um now you've got this girl who wouldn't know sex of a bitter in the ass, her big fat ass, <laughs> and I don't, it, just the episodes are bad. And what they start doing is – the funny thing is they have brought back the guy, Bryce, who had done uh, the um, – uh, Kathy Gale episodes because they figured, okay, no well, support. things are getting a little too wild. Let's make them a little bit more realistic. And instead, they, they canned him. They brought back Clemens. The whole thing went crazy. Actually, Clemens went away after a bit. Uh, so this whole season was just a fucking mess, period. Uh, but what happens is they made it even more campy. And they brought in a really weird homoerotic subtext because they decided, okay, what Peel, uh, rather, uh, Steed and Tara King weren't enough because I don't know if she just wasn't uh, trending well with audiences or what the deal was. Uh, but they decided, okay, let's bring in somebody that's like you know, home base for them, I guess, and somebody that they have to check in with their superior. And they brought in some big fat. Fucker called Mother. Some, some guy that was like, 
I don't know. He he had like a beard and a you know a full beard on him. He didn't look that old to me. It wasn't like he was a, a Sydney Greenstreet. I guess they were shooting for that Nero Wolf kind of thing. Speaking of Sydney Greenstreet, well, he, was, he was in a wheelchair. He was in a wheelchair, yes. right? But right. yeah, but he was a hugely fat guy, and he was. <laughs> you you can't watch this guy act and say he wasn't supposed to be gay. I mean, he's just so. Uh, hoity-toity, effeminate, uh, flouncing about, if you will. Uh, It's embarrassing, actually. Um, So they've got Mother and Tara King and Steed, and it just gets really jokey and really stupid and really, really campy. They, I don't know if they even bothered trying to redo old episodes anymore, but it was really jokey, and uh, it's just hard to watch her because... He will send her off on on uh, adventures, if you will, and it's almost like he doesn't even want to do it because she knows she's going to fail. Uh, she was horrible at doing whatever she was supposed to do in the first place. Like, here, go and find out what's going on at this hotel, and she would totally fuck it up in the first three minutes. Everybody knew exactly who she was and why she was there. Um, these episodes were just the death knell of the series. I'm amazed that it went on for almost a year here. We're talking about, what, September 68 to uh, May 69. So it actually went for a full season, but I don't know why. These episodes are horrible. I don't know if there's anything good in the entire Tara King run. It was just actually painful to watch. Uh, the only one I could think of that was not that bad, that I, okay, I kind of like this one, was Fog, which is the one where they sort of have a, uh, a Jack the Ripper kind of a thing going on. Uh, that one worked despite her, uh, but it really was despite her. Uh, and Steed becomes really kind of goofy. He's like become this really safe father figure, uh, jolly uncle sort reporting to this guy who maybe his boyfriend or something, this mother guy, who's always kind of lounging out oh. by a pool or whatever. I remember him floating in a pool a lot, even though you say he was in a wheelchair. He's surrounded, he's surrounded by beautiful women. Yeah, but come on, really? <laughs> you saw the way he acted. You tell me he was like, <laughs> it's like a beard. Uh, <laughs> it was he really... Was, uh, he was... Um, he was... Uh, Metrosexual? <laughs> I was thinking. I was a metrosexual back then. No, no I, I think he was. Ah, uh, oh, I can't think of the word. Oh my god. Yo, there were there were lots of effeminate? characters. <laughs> no, there were lots of characters like that, like uh, George Sanders and Sumeru. You know, like yeah. obviously gay characters. Yeah, like, yeah. Surrounded by beautiful women. You know. That's actually what was funny Would about you... Sumer. I finally saw the original one. I'm like, you know, he's so obviously not interested in them. Obviously, George Sanders was gay, like you said, but it was like, wow, this is really kind of pushing it. <laughs> Who cannot see this? That he really doesn't give a flying fuck about all these women around him. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, Mother was really, really over the top, and these well, episodes are really over the top. So and very day glow and campy all around. So, uh, but go ahead. <laughs> It's no, it's no think, secret that I hate this season and I hate Tara King, but go ahead. <laughs> well, no, no, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan either, but but uh, the Forget-Me-Not, again, uh, mentioned on the outset of this uh, horse slaughter of the young <laughs> uh, Linda Thorson. 
<clears throat> well, actually, it was at a convention. I never got a chance to talk to her. I don't know what the hell happened. Well, famous mister on my part. <laughs> <laughs> Let me hide. Um, You're going to make fun of me on the air. <laughs> I'm going to run. <laughs> she, I, well, the forget-me-not, I really liked that one. I actually thought it was sweet. I actually thought it was bittersweet. I actually thought that was, was one of the be. best. Yeah. It was a send-off. I thought that was... Right, and I thought it was one of the best episodes in the whole bloody steel heel run. Oh, I didn't think that. Um, <laughs> no, no, I mean in retrospect, you know, it's 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 really one of the better ones. But I did not like how they ended it. I'm you know, because they start showing some actual feelings for these two characters. Right. And then well waiting outside is my husband, who's suddenly alive from the Amazon, and he looks just like you. Yeah. Hi. Well, see, we I, thought that I, was I, funny. I was not a fan of the fact that they broke up because it was like you said, they, they were obviously, I hate to say in love, but they were involved throughout the entire series, more or less, with the, right. the Peel and uh, Steve era. And that was part of the dynamic. That was what people liked about it. Uh, so to see them break up, even though it was kind of like a send-off to the character, they wanted to explain why she left as opposed to just having her disappear, was nice. But uh, it was kind of – when we saw that he looked just like John Steele, we both laughed our asses off. Like, wow, that's really cheesy. But you know, in a way, it kind of worked. I was like, okay, well, I guess that's cute in its own way. Uh, so I don't have the same aggression towards it that you do in that respect. But yeah, I can see – Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, she, passes, she passes the, chunk, the chunky chick on the stairs. She's like, go ahead, take care of him. Don't swallow. You know, those kind of things. You know? <laughs> yes. It's more or less what happened. Uh, well. Yeah, it's more or less what happened. Uh, I actually liked Game. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, Peter Jeffrey shows up again in that. He was uh, the villain in uh, the Jokers. Um, but you know, you're right. A lot of these just like suck. <laughs> yeah, they, they were um, actually. And this just like we have, knew it. We have they the entire too, series. Of the Avengers on DVD, and we had gotten them over a set of years. You know, back when they were expensive, we were getting them. We had them on VHS. Oh yeah, um, from uh, what was that? A and E, right? Yeah, A and E, Arrow, all those places. So we got them by hook or by crook for years. First on VHS, then on DVD, but we never really touched the Tara King years. So finally, a friend of mine, you know, again, I probably mentioned him on there previously. He was an old hippie. Uh, he's the guy that got me into Italian horror. Uh, he was a fan of the Tara King. So I was like, oh, you know, you're too mean to her. You know, give her a shot. You know, I always really liked her or whatever. I thought she was cute. All right. So we gave a couple of them. I, I found them cheap. It was like five bucks or something for, you know, when we had the part seasons, they would give you like these box sets of like two discs. And it was each one was like a half a season. Uh, right. So we basically, we got a half season of that, the ones she was in. It. Well, I guess it would have been four sets of this for the, to get her entire run. We got two of them. I don't remember what was the first half or the second half. I know it had fog in it, which is the one I like. Uh, I asked my wife at one point, I was like, oh, you know, should we try to find the other? She's like, I don't care. <laughs> so that's kind of the uh, feeling about this. Whereas, like I mentioned, she's a huge Kathy Gale fan. She loves Emma Peel, even though she laughs at her bad karate and her big feet. Uh, you know, we watched what was available of the uh, Dr. Keel ones, and of course the audios from that company that shall not be named. <laughs> Bit if you heard me do that, uh, but uh, you know, 
and yet she really didn't give a shit about these. Me personally, I probably would have got them just to see the rest of them and say, okay, well, that's it. I put it in the bed, and that's the end of it. But uh, her taste was it was just not worth any freaking money because neither one of us realize. Did you realize there are 33 episodes for freaking Linda Thorson? Really? That, that is a, That is an, an amazing length for a season. I'm shocked. Um, yeah, so that means you have to go back and rewatch. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> the 15 that no, we have. Seriously, folks. Enough. Yeah, they're, they're, it's for some reason, by hook or by crook, there are 33 bloody episodes. Um and ABC, remember they were, uh, we mentioned, or I mentioned earlier, they were shown on the, the ABC network here in the States and was fronting half of the, if not most of the money for production canceling. Because they probably looked at this and said, what the fuck is this? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there are 33 damn episodes of the, the Linda Thorson Tyra King, which probably per season is more than. Uh, any of the rigs, you know, standalone seasons, or the Kathy yeah. Gill. But I agree. Uh, I think that of... ABC got into the series because they saw what was going on with the um, Kathy Gale stuff. They're like, oh, it's pretty cool. Bring it over here. They got the Unappeal stuff, which was gold. And then they're like, well, what the fuck is this girl? She, there's no dynamic right. between her and Steed whatsoever. The series went totally camp. It's gotten homoerotic. There's no this, this girl can't act. She's not really that attractive. She's kind of like overweight and got big piano legs. I mean, what's the point of this series? What happened to you guys? You suck. Get out of here. So that's probably why it got canned. <laughs> this is my personal take on it. And, and I, I, you know, I used to watch this. I give you some background. I watched this first run when it was on ABC, and. uh it just changed my life. I was like, I used to think the Wall Wall West was a pretty outre show. It was a pretty strange show. Yeah, what? And, uh, it, yeah, yeah, it's pretty weird. It hasn't really gotten to do. Um, I like it. People tell with, yeah, with the Robert doctor Conrad. there. And, and who the hell is the, yeah. the midget guy there? Uh, Michael, uh, I forget. That was always creepy. Doctor, what's his name? Michael Dunn, there you go. Miguelito Loveless. Yes, Dr. Loveless. I remember uh, growing up on that, and I was like, wow, this series is really interesting. And I think that one of the unacknowledged things that Mike Myers was going for with Austin Powers and Dr. Evil, obviously he was going for Bond, obviously he was going for Jason King. I think he was going for the Wild Wild West as well. You know, the Dr. Evil thing was kind of Michael Dunn and Dr. Loveless, so. uh, as well as Blofeld. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Russ Martin was terrific in that show. It was great. I loved him. I didn't even care about yeah, Conrad. Yeah. I was more than him. <laughs> he was the better character. Well, Conrad was athletic. For a small 5'1 guy, he was very athletic. And, and you know, cocking and all that stuff, he, he did a good job. There's nothing wrong uh, with him. It was like wasn't an interesting uh, character. No, he wasn't an interesting character. It was just like all machismo. But the funny thing right. was, it was like one of the few shows where your second lead actually has a heart attack. And they replaced him with Charles Aidman until yeah, Ross did. Martin was, was good enough to come back. Yep. That's Which true. was uh, uh, really weird, but anyway, so that was a show I liked a lot, and then I, you know I, I'm watching the Avengers, and then after it got canceled, it almost immediately shifted over to Channel Nine, which still exists today, I think. Um, does it? <laughs> yeah, I think it's UPN now. It does all like black shows. I remember I had like Rock okay, well, and First Pants back when. Yeah, I went over to Channel Nine. And then, so we heard nothing for the Avengers, because this was, 
this feels like uh, almost the summer of '69. So we 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 heard nothing more of the Avengers for a number of years until right. until 1976 when it came back. And I personally, I had seen a lot of these in reruns. It, usually it was interesting because they would show them at weird hours. I between like 11.30 and 3 in the friggin' morning. Uh, I remember at one right. point I was in the hospital watching the Avengers on all episodes. I'm like, wow, this is surreal. And I'm kind of doped up. Um, but, you know, what happened is all of a sudden this show reappears. And I remember my father was all excited because he was a huge fan of Emma Peel. He loved her, you know, totally typical man of the era. Like, oh, yeah, Emma Peel, Diana Rigg, ooh, yeah, hot. And <laughs> And he comes back, and he was so disappointed. I still watched it. I still liked it myself. Uh, the first season is much, much better than the second season. The second season gets much too Cold War, but we'll get there in a minute. What happens is uh, they bring in – Patrick and he's kind of getting old at this point because you know, it's like a decade after the series ended almost, and certainly – you know, what is it, 15 years after the season set, the Avengers actually started back in 61? Um, okay. You know, he's he's an older guy now, so he can't really do all the stunts, if you will. You know, okay, it's fine to have him in there, but he's more of like the, the second lead, that kind of a thing. Uh, and that's what they do. So he's there for star appeal. He's there for – he's not really the mother. That's not the way he is. He, he's, he's involved in the series more than that, and he's certainly not that campy. The series is very – Poe-faced and dark. It's kind of like the um, where Hammer films went towards the end, like you know, Satanic Rites of Dracula, or um, you know, uh, To the Devil a Daughter. That that's sort of a, a darker, more realistic uh, spy type thing. Um, well, for the first season, the first season, at least. first season, yeah. And the first season is one that works. They brought in first. They were going to do of all people. Uh, they were going to do Gareth Thomas, who became Blake on Blake Seven. And he was really pissed off because apparently he was really like in the final running. And they were going to do some stuff with him. They actually shot a screen test or whatever. And all of a sudden they dropped him. And he's like, well, what happened? And they ended up, he's like, yeah, you know, they end up hiring a guy who doesn't look that much different than me and has my same fucking name. They hired Gareth Hunt instead of Gareth Thomas. Uh, <laughs> but I will say, and my wife's pointed out as well, that he was a better choice. Uh, Gareth uh, Thomas. Is, I like him a lot, but he's kind of pudgy. You know, he's more he's more like a Doctor Who type. He fit perfectly as Blake. Uh, for the role that they had here, Gareth Hunt was definitely the perfect choice. Um, he was, for British uh, character actors of the era, he was kind of considered what they would have at that time as being like the rugged, um, not really everyday, not really a super good looking, but enough to have appeal on both sides of the fence. The guys would like him because he's kind of tough. The girls would like him because he's not that bad looking, you know, that sort of a thing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he worked all that well. I mean, he wasn't like, he wasn't made to be a lead. You know, he doesn't have that kind of appeal, but personally I liked him. You know, I thought he was great. Uh, for what he was doing. Uh, he's certainly no John Steed. Uh, but, you know, for what he's doing, it's like, okay, yeah, I like him well enough. Uh, they played him up as kind of misogynist because they hired somebody. They think, okay, well, we're going to go, the era is changing. We're going to go someone who's a bit more, you know, ERA feminist, whatever. Okay, fine. You remember, this is 76. It's the same time we have Wonder Woman. It's the same time we have the Bionic Woman. It's the same time we had Troy's Angels. It's it's more, you know, the girls are able to do the same thing now. ISIS was already out, you know, that kind of a thing. 
So, and we talked about all those things back on our comic book show, a superhero show, a couple, about a month or two back, uh, which is funny as hell. You should definitely check that out if you're interested. But uh, what happens here is they picked the girl who would later be best known as Patsy on Abfab, uh, Joanna Lumley, who was, you know, she was a character actress. She was in a couple of things. She was in Satanic Rites of Dracula for one, as one of the vampire brides. Um, she'd pop up here and there. The problem was. They hired her because they figured, okay, well, she's kind of tough and assertive, but she's attractive. You know, she had, like, long blonde hair and whatever. Uh, and she decided for whatever reason that she was going to get – maybe it was because of a feminist thing. Maybe she was trying to be uh, – what's her name there? Helen Reddy or something. Uh, but she decided to get a bob. She got a shirt bob. And they were like, oh, my God, what the fuck did you do? We were just going to film this in, like, two days. Are you crazy? And well, they wanted to put a wig on her. And she's like, nope, I'm either going to do this my way, this is what I want to do, or I'm going to walk. It's like, all right, whatever. So they let her do it. And that's part of the problem is that, you know, I like Joanna Lonely. I love her as Patsy. I liked her in those other things we're talking about. But here she's kind of vehemently bitchy, uh, which you would get with a lot of the feminists of that era, unfortunately. It was kind of a, a sidetrack for all the good that they were doing. Because uh, they were very much assertive. I've got to have my rights. I'm just as good as a guy, and all that bullshit that you get. So they were. Very, she was very pushy, uh, and she had this horrible haircut. So it was like, you know, she's not really that appealing. And she had this name Purdy, which is stupid in the first place. But again, it's supposed to be like pussy galore. Like, oh look, she's so purdy. Well, no, she wasn't. She was kind of plain <laughs> at best and pushy. Uh, so you've got her basically going tooth and nail with Gareth Hunt's character, who was very misogynistic. And, oh, come here, darling, let's have her roll in the sheets. And he was like, what are you, you disgust me. Get away from me, you pig. And she slammed the door in yeah, his there, face. And he, there was a lot there, of that going on. Yeah, yeah, there was a lot of that going on. And I think that's what fucked the series up, honestly. But for what it is, I did really enjoy the first season. There were some really good episodes in there. Unfortunately, one of them was a Cybernauts episode, but you know, there's, some good, there's some good episodes in here. Um, and one of them that is not a Cybernauts episode had Peter Cushing in it, actually. Um, you know, I remember one where they had a town uh, that was basically abandoned because there was like poison gas testing or something, what the Russians were doing. Uh, there was another one set in a, a school, uh, a public school during the summer. Uh, you know, really decent stuff. Uh, surprisingly good, actually, if you are looking for more of, I guess, closer to the dynamic that they were doing in the early Kathy Gale days or even before that with Dr. Keel. Uh, it's very Cold War. It's very spy, so it's not that like low-rank crime shit they were doing back then, but it's got that very grim, realistic feel. And if you can put up with that dynamic, that caddy back and forth between this hyper-feminist and this nasty misogynist, and then occasionally having John Steve pop in and like you know offer a, a word or two of advice and raise his eyebrow and give a little charm and then walk away, uh, it worked pretty well for that first season. I really do like season one of 76. The problem is season two, uh, when you start getting to... Go ahead. Before you get before you get into season two, I want to say season one also uh, the one thing not mentioned this was not a British or an American production this was French and Canadian yes so that's true yeah that there were there were fans in France and there were fans in Canada 
And the and two did And and the um the cast of characters uh are uh are supporting cast. Uh you know, you mentioned Peter Cushing, you got Peter Jeffrey again, John Carson, Ronnie Lacey, who we mentioned mm-hmm. a number of times on the show, uh most famous uh, Raiders of Ladex Shea Bell. Mm-hmm. Who's also uh lots of stuff. And and in the two part to catch a rat, which is one of the times this is about I would say six, seven episodes in, where John Steed actually the character that makes a more assertive appearance, uh Ian Hendry yes. shows up. Yep. And it's suddenly a very interesting show. Uh it's a very interesting dynamic also because is an alliteration to whether this is Dr. Keel renamed. Uh, yes. It's just, they, they kind of fuck with us a little bit on that one. And that's probably one of the reasons why it was a two-parter. Um, it, there's actually one other thing I didn't mention, which is, because um, I can't remember the name, I just took, took a look. Uh, the character's name that Gareth Hunt played was Mike Gambit. And those, once yeah. again, going back to the comic thing, those of you who were into the character Gambit, yeah, this is kind of where they got him from. Yes, okay, that character's supposed to be a Cajun and a thief and all the other crap, but if you look at the persona and the way that he acts and the way that he relates to other characters, yeah, he's Mike Gambit. So there you go, once again, another uh, cross-relation to the comic book world. <laughs> go ahead. Now, now in, in, in the second season... Um, which is shorter, much shorter. Yes. Um, and there's the a reason for that. <laughs> yeah. You you have, you know, uh, Clive Ravel, uh, Martin Shore, Ferdy Main. Um, yep. A lot more Canadian, uh, character actors. Um, uh, Simon Oates, uh, which you guys might rec- uh, recognize from a couple of uh, Hammer type pictures. Carolyn Monroe popped up one. Collins. Lewis Collins from uh they were trying to make him a big thing after David Warbeck. The final mm-hmm. option actually, I think that was. The thing was, so <laughs> what's her name grew out of here and uh Joanna Lumley grew out of here and it became long and, and luxurious. But he also became ultra feminine. Did you get that feeling? Yeah, they kind of lost the dynamic of the first season because probably because they sensed that it was grating on people, especially at the time. Uh, even now, that would be like, wow, she's really nasty to him, and he's really an asshole. And you know, you could say that okay, he deserves it, or vice versa. But it, it really wasn't a winning. Like, oh yes, I really like these two characters. Like, wow, these pair of like assholes sniping each other all day. Uh, so they probably had a directive to cool her off. And maybe to some extent cool him off. I don't think he was as nasty in this season either. Uh, but what happens is they make it very, very Cold War. Now, obviously, we were in that period during the salt talks and everything else, uh, Brezhnev and all this. It, it was a, a dicey time, you know, on drop off there for the one day or whatever it was. I think it was a little later. Uh, but yeah, before he got killed, he <laughs> took premiership and he was dead in like three days. Um, this was a really questionable move, making it so directly real-world political without having the stories to back it up. 
so all of a sudden, instead of okay, here's the you know quote unnamed spies that are you know testing chemical warfare in this town, or here's the the resurgent Nazis that are doing whatever you know that kind of thing they're doing the first season. All of a sudden, every single episode is about the Russian communists, and they are doing X or they're doing Y, and there's a lot of military stuff in here, and it just doesn't fucking work. I mean, everything that was good about the first season is absent. And anything that is here isn't enough to save it. It's just like, uh, what did they do, like eight episodes and then gave up, <laughs> which says something. I mean, it's really, it's really short. Yeah, it, it just um, doesn't, it doesn't cut the mustard. Uh, even now, well, I've got the sets and they're split. I always watch the first one. I never touch the second one. Well, the, the other thing, too, is that, that they also gave, uh, I don't know how he felt about Gave uh, Patrick McNee a lot more to do with Steed in the second season. Yeah. Almost to the point of it was like the old Avengers where Steed was a star and these two people were yes. his helpers. Gareth Hunt did um, not get the screen time he got previously. That's for damn sure. And there's yeah. another thing. The budget dropped. You could tell that they were spending less money on these episodes. Sure. Sure. Well, also, I know so, you know, you mentioned something before. Season one of the new Avengers uh, premiered on in America, I believe it was on CBS TV, like 11, 11, back in the day, they were doing weird things, like 11.35 to 12.40. Yes. What? Yep. What is that? All the time. But the second one, the second season, actually showed close to 1 a.m., which is the kiss of death for anything. Who the fuck is up at 1 a.m.? <laughs> it's true. Especially if you have to work the next day. <laughs> um, um, so, uh, it's it's not a complete disaster. I mean, they change no. things. Uh, good to see Steed more at the forefront. I think I think to catch a rat was definitely a, a point in the right direction. You know, we want it, we're watching it for Steed. Come on, you know, let's let's be real about this. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think making <laughs> Joanna grow her hair longer. And then making her more feminine was a mistake. No, just make her grow her hair longer. She could be the same yeah, character. Exactly. And so you want to have Steve be more assertive like it was in the old days. That's cool. But do you really have to come back on Mike Gambit's screen time? Yeah. Yep. It's just, it just got kind of wonky, and it just died. Um, yeah. The funny thing is, so this kept the interest in the Avengers going. And so we finally got a feature film. Do you remember this? I don't remember a feature film. Oh, let's talk about the one from the 90s, that Uma Thurman piece of crap. That one, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was going to forget all about that one, but go ahead. <laughs> you know, remember well, that one time about... we went over your place, and you said, what did you think? So you liked that Avengers film, and you were talking about the Marvel Avengers, and because I knew you, and I knew the kind of stuff we were usually talking about, I thought you meant that one. I'm like, that film was terrible. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah. So that's no, what I, th- I was no. thinking. Uma Thurman's Avengers. Oof. Wow. <laughs> no. But go ahead. Say what you got to say about it. <laughs> well, no, I have nothing to say about that one. <laughs> no, we're talking about the Avengers. Might as well talk about, end it with go uh, for it. <laughs> the feature film. No, so... so um, that's like saying the so shadow had a feature film in the nineties. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, but, but, but uh, all things considered, that's much better than this. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so 
Just the Phantom of Billy Zane of all people. Yeah, uh, there's another one. Wow, what a bad era the 90s were. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, but they're all better than the Avengers. So the Avengers <laughs> is like this B-Love shit we've been talking about for about two hours now. Um, and it's a cult phenomenon. And uh, and you get to talk about Diana Rigg or Patrick McNee, both the way met, but uh, maybe another time. But season went off the air in 77. So all of a sudden, you know, there's more interest in it again. I don't know, maybe the DVDs came out, whatever it was. And there's interest and oh, there's going to be a feature film. All of a sudden, everybody's getting really excited. And Sean Connery's going to be there. Ooh. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, it's a possibility that Patrick McNee is still alive. He's still, you know, he's still, at that time, he was whatever age, and Diana Rigg didn't look like she was dead already. So, you know, all little <laughs> possibilities. Maybe even for cameos. So the first thing was, it's being directed by a guy who did a Chevy Chase movie. What? <laughs> yes. And he only did one or two of them. Like, is Jeremiah Chepchik? Whatever the fucking name was. Right. I was like, what are you, crazy? <laughs> and then... Um, this is true. This is true. And then they... So they heard Ray Fiennes, who, you know, a stage actor, and, uh, you know, not a man to bring anybody into seats, but, okay, maybe. And then Uma Thurman, who I didn't know was British, but... Uh, <laughs> she's British right now. <laughs> But, you know, she was a hot number at the time, even though I wasn't too much of a fan. So I can understand them casting, oh, look, here's our hot find of the moment. I would rather they put someone like Julie Delpy in, to be honest with you, if they're going to do that. Or Angelina Jolie. Well, yeah, but, yeah. Actually, you know, almost much better in Kill Bill films. Uh, you know, but that's, that's another story altogether. Um, so we've got Ray Fiennes as John Steed, almost as whatever she is, Emma Bill. <laughs> and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna have a, a villain, uh Sean Connery of all the fucking things. Wow, really? One of the few movies he made before he retired. And um so it's a big mystery and all of a sudden it gets delayed and then rumors they cut like thirty to forty minutes out of it and they release this eighty five minute movie and nobody makes a movie that's eighty five minutes. Yep. And um I saw it, and I was like, oh, this is so painful. Yeah. And I remember they didn't have mother, they have father, who was a girl. <laughs> yes. And you know, the funny, weird, freaking thing about it was, what we were watching was somebody's, you know, I, I, I used this term before in the show, somebody's misinterpretation yeah. of Avengers. It was half-assed fanfic from a, a country that didn't understand it. I don't have no yeah, idea. Yeah. You know, it's, it's typical I mean, mainstream Hollywood. That's the problem you have nowadays. You got some stupid, like, you know, studio exec that's been sticking blow up his nose for the last 20 years, has no fucking clue about anything, says, oh, yeah, who, who you got that on the list for? Okay, well, we're going to put an Uma Thurman in. Oh, great. Okay, anybody else? We can get Sean Conner. Perfect. Greenlight it. They don't know anything about the project. Well, they well, just, Ray, you know, Ray, Ray Fiennes was, was not done, Steve. It was okay. Uma yeah. Thurman, if we well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uma, <laughs> if we really stretched our minds and accepted, all right, possibly. But to do the whole movie 
in the vein of a Tara King episode, which yes. is the worst season going, was the kiss of death. <laughs> it was jokey. It was very yep. nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and that only works. You know when? It just didn't work. And then yep. Sean Connery, who's like going to die soon, probably because he's old. Um, <laughs> that'll be a dark day. Um, so anyway, Sean Connery's playing this bad guy who had a coterie of villains who dressed up as teddy bear-headed villains <laughs> who wreck havoc with mo- uh, mother, father, whatever the fuck it is, and the bank, the you know, and all the other spies. I mean, there were cool elements that harken back to the black and white '60s adventures, things that we liked. Too much of it is stuck in the Terror King thing. And I think probably the longer version either would have helped it or hurt it even more. I, I don't know where that is. I've never I've seen it. Three words for you. Dark Shadows movie. There you go. That, that's what the Avengers is. <laughs> oh, Tim Burton? Yeah. Yes, that piece of shit. <laughs> Same idea. It's utter blasphemy to any of the original iterations. But hey, you know, somebody must have green light this fucking thing. God knows what they were snorting, but <laughs> they, they missed the uh, the coke and they hit the Ajax or something, and they were giving them the idea to green light this. I don't know. <laughs> and, and this will go down as one of the biggest bombs ever. Actually, if you research like box office bombs. This was huge because I think they spent quite a lot of money on this, and and it just it was a disaster. Well, um, and it just goes to show you you can said, make a masterpiece on almost no money, but you know make throw all the money you want in the world that is still going to be a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, 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 that all being said, we you know we we discussed a beloved British TV show tonight uh, yes. through its many iterations, and. Uh, you sure you don't want to get to your Shirley Eaton story? <laughs> oh, Shirley Eaton. Another night. Another night. All right. <laughs> but, 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 okay, right, we have a few minutes. So, uh, I did meet Diana Rake, and I did meet Patrick McNee, but Diana Rake's story is much better. I had a friend back in the 70s who was a huge fan of Diana Rake. We started hanging out, and uh, this guy, uh, I don't know, maybe he was in a Diana Rake fan club or something, and uh, and uh, he used to always go see her perform in the, on stage. And she did something called Jumpers, and she did Pygmalion, and all this kind of stuff. Uh, the Misanthrope, yeah, really heavy-duty British theater in America. And he goes, you want to meet Diana Rake? I'm like, yeah, you fucking shit. That was a true story. He goes, no, I met her lots of times. I'll just go to the stage entrance and tell them who I am. So I went with him and this other guy. This guy's name is Ricky. This other guy's name is Brian. So um, he says, bring bring stuff to sign. I'm like, oh, let me look around. So I had some stills, and I put them in the bag and stuff. So I'm hanging out with this guy. So he goes to the stage door. They're going to tell us I'll fucking go away. And he says, no, no, wait here. So then they open the door and say, oh, yeah, you can, she'll see you. I'm like, really? Wow. <laughs> so we go into her dressing room. Yeah. 
And she, she knew this guy. She was drinking wine like no tomorrow. Red wine, buddy. And so she was very nice, very sweet. And so she signed a bunch of stuff for me and proceeded to spill wine all over everything. <laughs> so I still have in my possession the only time that like Patrick McNee signed the same still that Diana Rigg did from the Avengers as oh, tinted red parts. <laughs> she was a very nice woman. She posed for lots of pictures. Um, and um, I saw her again about a year later, and then these guys disappeared from my life. Uh, this, that's another story. Um, they got kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, weirder than that, yes. Um, well, you know, it's like, oh, really? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll go along with you. Let's see where this goes. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, you tell me the truth. Okay. I don't know how this happened, but, you know, it happened. Uh, Patrick McNee was in New York at the old Forbidden Planet location years ago. Yes. He wrote his first book. Uh, I think it was called Blind in One Ear. Right. Very nice gentleman. The day I went, there was like four people there. Wow. And I was like, yeah, I know. There were like four people online, so I got to spend quite a bit of time talking with him. I got the book. He signed the book to me, and it was like, just like, uh, it was a pleasure to meet him. And uh, it was a pleasure to meet Diana Rigg. You know. But, uh, <laughs> even though she was drunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know you know what? She was dating a, a uh, it was kind of controversial in the papers. While she was in New York, appearing in this play, she was dating some Lord or fucking Duke or some shit. I was making yeah. the gossip columns because he was married. <laughs> oh, oh, what, who cares, right? But um, she she was followed everywhere by the paparazzi, like the TMZ of its day. Right. Very strange. Well, I did see the show she was in. That was the other thing, though. Hanging out with these guys, we saw, uh, I think it was uh, Misanthrope. Okay. The Move for the Misbegotten with Jason Robards, but she was completely nude. So if you had a thing for Diana Rick. The one, 1977, possibly. I love the Misanthrope, um, but it's very archaic. Obviously, Moliere was writing way back yeah. in the 1600s or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there was the last thing I saw her in life was uh, Medea. <laughs> wow. She played, yeah, she played the mother of Jason. Okay. And she cut off Jason's head. That was pretty <laughs> freaking. But uh, yeah, Diana Reed Live is a force to be reckoned with. Now she's 211 years old. <laughs> I hear she's on Game of Thrones. Was she on? You watch that? No, I don't watch that shit. <laughs> I hear people talking about it all the time. It's like my my TV watching is limited to my wife's superhero shows, and that's it. And even before that, it was nothing. I, I really just don't watch TV unless it's uh, so, DVDs so, that we get. The old stuff. So that just means you're making a trip to Captain America soon, right? You have to. Yes. Oh, yeah. She wanted to go last week. I'm like, nah, let's not go opening weekend. I hate being bumper to bumper with people. I'd rather have like a, a seat of space yeah. in between us. Yeah, but, uh, that's about, I'm probably going to go this weekend or next weekend, I guess. Yeah, yeah same I here. Good thing. I heard very good I things about saw, it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, you finally saw what? I finally saw Deadpool. Oh, I love that movie. It was a great movie. Yeah. I finally saw that. 
And, uh, uh, if you can put up with the bad CGI character because they didn't have the money to, to license another Marvel character, uh, you know, okay, Gumby is he's talking to him for half an hour. Otherwise, it was really good. Lots of fun. I don't know how Captain yeah, America is going to be. I really love the last two Captain America movies were great. They were the, one, the second one was better than the first one. I don't know how this is yeah. going to be because Civil War is supposed to be a political thing about the Bush era. Uh, so how they're going to make this into some dumb thing that's depoliticized, especially in a time when it reapplies anyway, considering our election right now. Uh, why they did that, I don't know. I guess it's just for mass appeal, so they weren't offending anybody. But um, I'm curious at whether it'll still hold up despite that, or if it'll just be a kind of a bust. I hear good things, though, so who knows? I mean, all the superhero movies mm-hmm. are the same. you got you got to kind of lower your bar. It's not like we're talking about some of the stuff we talk about here even, much less, you know, oh, look, it's a great art film. No, fuck that. It's just a crap, but it's fun crap. <laughs> so we'll see, we'll see. Anyway, we, we hope everyone enjoyed listening to The Avengers tonight, and uh, um, if those of you who remember the show, it's a great show. The first couple oh, yeah. of seasons, you know, Kathy Gill, Diana Rigg. Uh, you're on your own after that. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, no, thank you for listening. And next week is what? Next week, uh, as promised, we're actually, uh, as you can tell already, we're picking up the pieces and gathering up the bits we never got to uh, in the previous seasons due to the inevitable kicking of the clock. So uh, next week we'll be taking on the second director attendant for our American Gothic show when we did John Carpenter. Uh, college professor and documentarian Toby Hooper seemed to come out of left field with his gruesome, yet strangely bloodless take on the Egg Murs, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, parlaying the film's unexpected, unprecedented success into a career in oddball horror, he gave us strange but often effective chillers like Eaten Alive, Salem's Lot, The Fun House, and Life Force, not to mention a strangely mainstream CG fest poltergeist. So uh, join us next week as we dive into the spotty but often quite fascinating career of another leading light in American horror, Mr. Toby Hooper. So uh, is there anything else you wanted to close out on? Or? No, no, thank you for listening as always, and I uh, hope you enjoyed the show. All right, so we will see you guys next week. Thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoy our little drawing room chat on the uh, classic Avengers. Next week we talk to Toby Hooper. If you'd like to contact us here, comments, suggestions, or you're a filmmaking musician, like to join us on air, uh, drop us a line at facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1 or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. You can also find us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash weirdscenes1 or at weirdscenes1. Weirdscenes Santa Goldmine brought to you by the Big Papa Online Network. I'm Blanc Talk Radio.
What is at eye level? A reductio ad absurd and look at the headlines from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you've got to have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. We try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network on Blog Talk Radio.